Throughout the years, working title films and writer Richard Curtis have captured the euphoria, hysteria, and humiliation of love. With the films Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones's Diary. This holiday season, join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. 20 years ago, you'd have been just his type. <laughs> As they explore that time of year, when desires are revealed. I'm in love. Aren't you too young to be in love? No. Oh, well, okay. Secrets are exposed. Your secretary is very pretty. Mister. Be careful, then. And chances are finally taken. All I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> Universal Pictures invites you. What's the best sex you've ever had? Britney Spears. No, I ain't kidding. <laughs> she was rubbish. To take everything you know about love. You have this kind of problem? Yeah, of course you did, you saucy minx. And multiply it by eight. Would you excuse me for one second? Okay, that's done. This will be Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, Colin Firth, Laura Linney, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Rowan Atkinson, Kira Knightley. Christmas is the time to be with the people you love. Yeah, I need a car. This holiday season. Does uh, Natalie live here? All you need. Oh. Hello. Is love actually? Are you seeing carols? I suppose I could. Please, please. Good King Winceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Welcome to Movie Uppers. My name is Bob Sham. I am Angela. I hope everyone had a merrily Christmas. Yeah. This is our last, last episode of the year. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it will be. And <laughs> what a what an interesting first year. We started around spring. We kind of figured out how to get our legs on it. And then by the time summer came around, we were in the flow of things. Yeah. By the end of summer, we're doing like literally three episode drops. We're fine. Mm-hmm. I know you're fine, but how you doing? <laughs> so we figured we it's it's still the holidays. Mm-hmm. We're figuring let's end the year on the 20th anniversary of this movie. This movie came out 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's a fairly divisive movie, but I think it's only divisive in that it's become a movie that has lasting power, that has stuck around over time. And I think because it has its very um, vocal appreciators, that it's, you know, that thing where when, when something's popular, then it becomes this balance, this cultural balance in which people put it down a little bit because a lot of people love it. I understand that. I've done that with so many movies. This is not one I did that with. I am a lover of this movie. But I know it's not... I know there's issues with this movie. It's not a great movie, but I love it. I think one of the things that got caught people 
and made them not like it as well is it's one of those that people like who don't necessarily watch things like romantic comedies. And so yeah. you got a lot of people saying, oh, but you might like this one. Yeah. It's not like the others, but it's enough like that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like a lot like of that, people said that. You just reject it even harder. And when people go at you too hard for things, it does yeah. make you kind of want to push back. Yeah. I always, I've known that this movie, Love Actually, directed by Richard Curtis from 2003, 20 years old, this movie, yeah. that... You know, no one, I guess I'm not a woman, so I don't think people have been like, you've got to watch Love Actually. I know guys who love this. I know a guy who has a tattoo of the heart that's on the DVD. Okay, well, that would make me not watch the movie. I Some get guy it. being I like, I've got the Love Actually heart. I get it. But I've seen people with those tattoos. Uh, but maybe people didn't push you, but it still was something you didn't really want to watch. You did watch this with me years and years ago. I basically said, I want you to see it just because I mm. reference it sometimes. Yeah. And I wanted you to at least have that knowledge of what the hell's going on in it. The people who, in contrast to its infamy, say they hate this movie, I think that is an overstatement. There, This movie does have charm. It does have wit. And it does kind of represent things in different layers. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting looking at this movie now or the perspective because Richard Curtis, I mean, he uh, he's directed a few movies, but also a prolific writer as well, involved in projects like Notting Hill, Bridget mm. Jones's Diary. Makes um, sense. You know, shit like that. The the British rom-com stuff. Mm-hmm. The, I, I would say, I mean, I don't even remember. I've seen Notting Hill. I don't even fucking remember those movies. Like, I, I can't even sit here and judge those movies because I just haven't. I actually recall not minding Bridget Jones's diary very much when I saw it. Well, it's because Renee Zellberger is hot in it. The only thing I remember from Notting Hill is that's the movie with that line that's quoted way, way too much of I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy. Yeah, yeah. Wanting him to say he likes her. I don't know it either, really. I've seen it. But that's where that comes from, I think. So that, like, overquote. But as someone who's not out in the world seeking romantic comedies Mm. i can't say this is a bad movie but it's far from perfect yeah and there are things that i think are well done and things that i think are uh really annoying or Mm -hmm. don't make sense or some things that i interpreted in a certain way that well we'll get into it but richard curtis uh i read in an interview i think it was an av club interview in which he or vulture i can't remember where he's citing the influences for his romantic comedies, and particularly Love Actually. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's an ensemble movie, so he does mention Robert Altman, the king of ensemble so movies. So many people are in this movie. He also cites uh, the the narrative structure of Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. as being something that is uh, in- inspired the way he put this movie together. Apparently, this movie is like he was writing two different movies and decided to just put them together in like a story ensemble. The two movies were the Hugh Grant prime minister falling in love and the Colin Firth falling in love with the Portuguese woman. I think he initially had a, a, wanted to make those their own specific movies. And then he lumped them into love. Actually. I mean, I don't know what those would have looked like, but I think it works really well in this along with all the other stories, because I don't really know how you would have fleshed that out. I, I think the Colin Firth Portuguese woman story I wasn't in love with that story. Like oh, okay, it, it was fair. okay. Yeah. I could see the 
the Hugh Grant prime single prime minister because there was like a a movie called like the American President or something that yeah. was kind of like that's what that yeah. reminded me of. But then everything else were ideas that he tacked on. Yeah. But one person that he cites, and you're gonna wince at this name as an influence. And it makes perfect sense based on all the tangential stories mm-hmm. and how people kind of... Oh, I know what you're going to say already. It's Woody Allen. I know. Listen... And I think it's pretty obvious that Woody Allen is a big influence on this movie. Sure. You can be influenced by Woody Allen's movies, just don't be influenced by Woody Allen's life. What do you mean by that? What do you Woody mean by Allen that? Woody Allen is a pedophile? Allegedly. There are things that are... Definitely Woody Allen esque that we will get into tangential stories Intermingle. revolving around yeah. relationships and shit. But this movie is impossible to just be like, and then this happened and this happened. Oh yeah, no. So let's just talk about the characters and the little stories that come to our mind, mm-hmm. and we will kind of judge those individually. And I would like to start with the one story that I think is the most disposable. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. That is the Liam Neeson and the little boy story. Yeah. The start of that story, I think, is great. You know, the, the idea that he well, is this boy's stepfather. The, and star- that- the start of the story is their mom d- of a well, mother died. Well, it's not died. great because it's terribly sad. But I just mean, like, there could have been a real conversation there about... This, like, stepfather trying to now be the only parent, be the father, you know, to this preteen kid who's obviously going through his own shit. Like, it could have... There could have been something more substantial there, but then it ended up turning into this, like, ridiculous story about this child who's in love, and the weight that they try to give it is just dumb. Well, it's got this thing where this child's a little too clever for his age. Yeah. That's an annoying thing. Yeah. the They literally just lost his mother and his, the love of his life. So, and I don't think there would have been anything wrong with making that dealing with that grief, the centerpiece of the story. But the grief shifts to, because he assumes the kid is sad because he lost his mom, but the kid's like, Well, truth is, actually, I'm in love. Sorry? I know I should be thinking about mom all the time, and I am. But the truth is, I'm in love. And I was before she died, and there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Aren't you a bit young to be in love? No. Oh, oh, okay. And it is straight corny. It is. Like, I I actually fucking hated that story. I really don't like it. I never have. I especially hate the end of that story where he drives his kid to the airport and the kid runs through the airport to kiss this girl. Here's the thing. The whole movie, that whole story at least, that whole story is based on the fact that this little boy needs to get this little girl to love him back before she leaves for America. Guess what? She's only going home for Christmas break, you fucking idiot. (laughs) She's coming back for next semester. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Now, and now, uh, talking about that, you you can cut that whole thing out, or at least change it to a real story about grief. Because That's what I'm we saying. because we are dealing with aspects in this movie, multiple stories in which love is taking different forms and in different ways. I think like a, a genuine grief story amongst all this would not have bogged this movie down. Well, and you know. I, I, there's no way we can get into the spider web of how all these people are related, but Emma Thompson is his best friend. And well, there's England, also they're a all conversa- cousins. Well, these are all high class uh, people in England, so they are definitely like cousins. Okay. Emma Thompson is his best friend, and 
I think there's also a conversation that was not had where he's trying to go to her for emotional support and she just kind of jokes everything off. You know what I mean? Like everything's kind of laughable, you know, and she's obviously trying to bring him out of his sadness, but there's another story where he finds someone who can be a genuine friend to him. So moving on to something that I, is great about this movie that I love. Yeah? Is the Bill Nighy rock star Billy character. Do you really love Christmas? Love Christmas. Come on, let it snow. This is shit, isn't it? Yep. Solid gold shit, Maestro. If it wasn't for him, this movie would not be this movie. He, him and Hugh Grant, I he think. He really does over. glue this whole thing together. And even if there are things you like or hate, it's not him. Yeah. His character's genuinely funny. Yeah. And I love how he's singing this Christmas time version of a trog song. And... And he keeps singing it the old way, and he keeps fucking it up. So he has to push this record, and he's trying to get this record to be number one by Christmas in the UK. But also, he's doing these interviews, and when he when you see him performing the song, you're sitting there thinking like, "Oh, that's not good." He knows. And then he openly admits in all these interviews. How do you think the new record compares to your old classic stuff? Oh, come on, Mikey. You know as well as I do, the record's crap. But wouldn't it be great if number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager, but an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price? He's just constantly down downplaying his own song. And then he's like, if this song goes to number one, I will perform it on Christmas Eve naked. Which he does. We kind of just see it on TVs, but he yeah. does. But, but it is a genuinely sweet story because this is a guy who's like a rock star. He's partied all his life, but... His love story is one of friendship because yes. he's got this manager realizes like, oh, well, if, if this is the time you spend with the people you love the most, then then I need to spend time with this manager guy who has been all business and he's been babysitting me while I'm going to, while I'm constantly out there getting it wet. They've been together for decades. Yeah. He is his best friend. Yeah. And like, it really is like the only family he has. So that was a really sweet friendship yeah. angle there. But I just want to kind of preface that I've probably seen this movie at least 15 times because... She's one of those when we were talking about earlier. At some point, I started watching it every year when I was decorating the Christmas tree. Mm. For a long time before I discovered podcasts, I was the kind of person who would either put on a television show that I'd seen a million times or a movie that had a lot of music in it. And this was one that I did... We moved into a house around Christmas and I just like kept playing this over and over again. But I didn't, I don't always sit down and watch it. This was the first time I'd sat down from start to finish and watched this movie in at least 10 years. Uh, but, but I've seen it a ton, but he is my favorite. Even as many times as I've seen it, I cannot help but have the biggest fucking smile on my face anytime he's on the screen. This is an ensemble cast, right? Mm-hmm. It's, let's just go through it here. Uh, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Kira Knightley, Colin Firth, Liam Neeson, Thomas Sangster, Bill Nighy, Gregor Fisher, Martine McCutcheson, Andrew Lincoln. Look, Rowan Atkinson is in this. He's doing his little Mr. Bean shit. Yeah. Uh, Richard Curtis either directed or wrote a Mr. Bean movie as well. Oh, nice. You remember that song, that techno dance song, I'm Mr. Vane? Yeah. You know how that goes. I know what I want and I want it now. I want you because I'm 
I think a long time ago, when the Mr. Bean movie came out, we were young, we were kids. Uh, I think that song was played on a trailer for that movie or something. <laughs> okay. So literally up until a couple of years ago, I thought that part where they're like, I want you because I'm Mr. Vane. I thought they were saying, I want you because I'm Mr. Bean. <laughs> Literally up until maybe a couple of years ago, I thought that song was like a techno dance song about Mr. Bean. That would be more brilliant. Uh, It should be that. Or that that would make it brilliant. I know what I want, because I want it now. Because I I want want you, because I'm Mr. Bean. (laughs) All of my life, I thought that's what it said. Anyway, how isn't he a charmer? Isn't he fun? He's fun in this. Um... I know you didn't get through the entire list, but I'm sure people will continue coming There's up. A, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, he plays a, a president. One of the saddest stories to me is that of Laura Linney. I forget where she works, but... She works for Alan Rickman. That's all that matters. She's developed some kind of romantic fling with this dude from Spain or whatever. No, she has had a crush on him and been able to, unable to speak to him for two years. But it doesn't ultimately work out, even though they try, because she has a brother in a mental institution who is in a bad way. And when we see them like starting to hook up, like he's calling, calling, and her phone is always ringing. So she just doesn't allow herself any real emotional attachments because she's totally, at least emotionally committed. When it's not her job, it's her brother. So that's like that's an example of like an actual yeah. And that's kind of that I I that's the kind of story that actually makes this um. Flesh out to something yep. that's unique and better, and what well, like a an aspect of it that does kind of make it a little deeper than a typical rom com. Yeah, and it's just she's just she's so lonely. All she has is her job. She's there so late every night because she's also American. Mm. So that's what we do. We think and somehow <laughs> no, but like she and her brother and parents went over there at some point, and now her parents are dead, and so she's the only person taking care of her brother, and it's not like she can move him. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, she breaks my heart a little bit in this movie. The Colin Firth uh, story in which he has a Portuguese, he meets a Portuguese woman. I forget. He's a writer, so he's staying at a place. He goes there because his wife cheated on him with his brother. Oh, yeah. And he comes. But he meets this Portuguese woman. She's supposed to clean his house. And I love their interaction. I know you don't love this story, but I like their interactions because. I'm not like against the story. Unconvincing how love can occur in this situation. Really? Well, so so you get. I get lust. They don't say it, but he's been. I I understand what you mean. Uh, But it actually is sort of harkens back to these older movies that we watch where people know each other for two weeks and decide they want to get married. You know, it's more of that kind of love. They're around each other. The thing that I think is cute about that part that's endearing is that they are having a real conversation, but neither one of them knows what the other one is saying. But they but are the way that they, they're at the to... same, they're on the same wavelength all the time, and that's why you know that it's going to work because by the time they do learn each other's languages, they are so alike. It is cute when they come together at the mm-hmm. end. But I, I love overall, that part when she learns English just in case. But, but I definitely think um, that it works better in a. Uh, collage of stories as yeah. opposed to its it own thing. It doesn't need to be its own. Alan Rickman in a um, 
Oh, what is her name? Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson is his wife. They have a couple kids. She is the sister of the prime minister. And he works with someone who is openly just trying to hook up with him. secretary. Of course, seeing the start of infidelity in this one. Because there's a point where this this girl he works with is like, uh, I want you to just get me something. And he goes out and he's ordering a uh, necklace through Rowan Atkinson. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Emma, while they're separated at the mall, and then Emma Thompson comes back around. And then she later finds that necklace in his jacket, and she thinks, oh. Well, and the thing that really fucks her up is that he ends up getting her... Rip it! What is it? it. (laughs) I'm getting to it. All right, I'll rip it. That's a surprise. What is it? It's a CD. Joni Mitchell, wow. Which is the same exact size as the box of the necklace, so she thinks it's the necklace. And they do this, like, open one present before the kids' Christmas show, and she grabs that, and she opens it, and it fucking guts her because... She thinks it's going to be the necklace because she had seen it. It's the same size. And she's so excited because he never gets her anything meaningful. It's always like a scarf. Or at least nothing like that, right? Right. And uh, because he's spent, this shit costs over 300 pounds, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, so that's another, I mean, that is, that's another aspect that makes the emotions of this, like working through all these loves. It's like love lost, which we didn't really through death, which we didn't really play in, which we should, but we yeah. did play in these realms of infidelity and, and love and that, it, that for family that over encompasses yeah. actual love and love of friendship. So, and just the fact that we have these varieties mm-hmm. kind of makes the idea that we didn't deal more with the grief angle, like even more egregious to me. I, I completely agree. You know, I know we'll talk about it, I'm sure, after we get through the the basic stories. We're probably halfway through. The way this movie is edited, I think, is really good. Sometimes it's a little heavy-handed, but I like the way the music kind of goes from one end to the other, and they have, like, a really... A lot of it's very quick-paced, right? But that's... The moments that get me are the slower ones, like Laura Linney, sad on Christmas Eve, actually calling her brother for one time. Like, he's always calling her, but she actually calls him because she's trying not to cry and be upset. This moment when Emma Thompson, like, excuses herself from the family and is like, y'all get ready, I need a minute. And she goes in the bedroom and plays that Joni Mitchell song, the I've Looked at Love from Both Sides Now. I don't know that that's what I call, I don't know if that's the actual title, um, but that's the song. And she just has this moment of, she's just crying. Mm. And they've made these comments about how she's like a cold British woman, you know. And I even said earlier, you know, she's not really emotionally there for her best friend who's just lost his wife. But she has this true moment of, like, breakdown. And they let it sit for a bit. Mm. And I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a small story here that I actually really like about this uh this guy who he can't really find a woman in England. So he, had, he has this plan that he's going to just go to America and with his accent actually hook up with like hot American girls. Yeah. Because they're supposed to be hotter in America on average. It's true. But honestly, his plan is pretty sound. It really is. 
<laughs> like it really it, it almost works too well when he arrives because he ends up staying in some house with like four single women mm-hmm. and all this and we see him at the end bringing a a, a, a country ass American girl which are played by all the the hot model girls that were in movies at the time yeah 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 and including January Jones who was in this movie twice I don't know if you noticed. I'm pretty sure she was also one of the the dancing Santa girls with Bill Nighy. Her, oh, really? she was made up very a lot. She had a lot of makeup on, but there's a picture, and I'm pretty sure the one on the one of the ends is January. Interesting. Jones. Interesting. Okay, so she actually never, shows up twice in this movie. That's cool. That's cool. And honestly, if you are like a boy in England, he's like, man, I just can't get with these London girls. If I can get to America, aim for a city. You know, aim for the cities. College cities are he pretty good. To- Wisconsin. Milwaukee. Well, Milwaukee's a city. Absolutely. I'm just saying, I mean, honestly, you could probably get some country girls to fuck you too, but go for the major cities and it probably will work out for you. Yeah. You know, one character that doesn't get his own story is Colin's best friend, but the connection there is that he's Colin's best friend who's trying to talk him out of going this whole time. And obviously, Colin brings him a girl back from America as well. He brings his country girl and her sister but he is the guy running the movie where you get um, the Hobbit and uh, the girl Martin uh, Martin Freeman. Yeah, they're being stand-ins for like some movie. So they it's a softcore porn, isn't it? Are they no, making a softcore porn? No, it's like a major motion picture because he talks at one point about standing in for Brad Pitt and Seven Years in Tibet. They bring these people in to get all the lighting right so that when the actors have to come in and take their clothes <laughs> off, it's like real fast. Yeah, yeah. Like they're not going to have like fucking Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or whoever the Just fuck like naked, naked while you're lighting it. No way. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. We could probably, we could maybe guess what movie they were doing based on these people's body types, but... This guy and girl are both, like, very shy, but through the course of this movie become increasingly naked in front of each other and in increasingly awkward positions where at one point he's talking about, like, it's just so nice to meet someone I can chat to and her thighs are, like, around his head. (laughs) Like, they've done, but they've not actually done anything but they've been like so intimate with each other. Now, I just think they're cute. It's a tiny story, but they're very cute. So uh, we got um, uh, Kira Knightley marrying this dude, right? Mm-hmm. Played by um, Shuetel Ejiofor. I think I said that right. He's married. She's married to his name is Peter, and they have a friend who's Rick from The Walking Dead. Yeah, he's he's Peter's Andrew Lin- best friend, played by Andrew Lincoln. Rick from he The is Walking Dead. Mean. Yeah. To Juliet, who is Kira Knightley. Now, this story, this is the most, this is actually the most Woody Allen esque story. Well, this is one of my least favorite ones. Well, at, in the in the interview um, that I had read of Richard Curtis, he had talked about how you know the interviewer pointed out, like you know, there's some things that didn't seem to age very well in the movie, mm-hmm. and obviously, and I think the number one was like all the fat jokes and shit. There's like, so many there's, fat. There's jokes. There's really way, way too many, but. But he said, you know, I don't have regrets, but I understand that the mo- world has moved on. But this specific scene, I didn't see it as something that I can't imagine even in 2003 that you would think that this particular scene was anything but this character is an asshole, mm. right? Well, we go and she, 
the the bride, Kira Knightley, she something about her wedding video is fucked up. Her, so her wedding video she was goes fucked. to his studio because she knows that he was recording the wedding as well. Yeah, best friend Rick. And they she finds the he tries to kind of push her off, but she finds a la- the labeled video right there, pushes it in, and this dude has cut the video. He's literally edited the, his own video down. Or he only filmed in those moments close-ups of her. No, he cut that shit. He edited <gasps> this movie. And he cut it into all these close-ups of just Kira Knightley's face. Like, this is straight-up creeper shit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And look, I know he's... I know Andrew Lincoln's a handsome man. But she sits there and she realizes, like, oh, this guy is in love with me. And then she's like, You never talked to me. You always talk to Peter. You don't like me. I hope it's useful. Don't show it around too much. But you never said anything. You never... You don't like me. You don't like me. You're always mean to me. And this guy... Is like, uh, 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 and he's like, show yourself out. I got to go be somewhere else. And then he comes back and he says, it's a self-preservation thing, you see. Whatever that and means. And then cue Dido, and he runs away. <laughs> and, you know, we don't get her reaction in that moment. So we go back, and her and her husband, her new husband, this guy's best friend, are chilling. Mm-hmm. It's Christmas Eve, and then... They get a knock on the door, and... What if dude had answered the door? That's one, too, where it's like... Yeah, He's yeah. just banking on Kira Knightley answering the door. And there it is, Rick from Walking Dead, holding the cue cards thing, like that Bob Dylan video. Filled by the whirlpools, looking for a new fool. Don't follow leaders, or watch a parking meter. He's like, say it's carolers, and then she says it. And then he goes... And this is a pretty infamous part of this movie, mm-hmm. where he's... Doing these signs where he confesses his love to her. And he's like, to me, you are perfect. You know, while they're pretending, while he's pretending to be a caroler with a little stereo. And then he just does his cue card thing and then walks away. And then she kisses him in the street. Now, I don't necessarily think that this is like the, like all the, like the, the, the overdone fat jokes. I don't think this is necessarily something that I instinctively was like, this is dated material. I didn't think that. Yeah. What I thought was like, oh, this is the story in which this guy is a cowardly cunt who never says his feelings until after his best friend marries this girl. He's an asshole. Like he, this is, this is the piece of shit. And because she kissed him on the street, this is the, this is kind of the shitty love story of the toxic guy. Who's yeah. like being a who's a total coward to never even admit his feelings at any point up to this point, mm-hmm. and now that his best friend has married her, then he's going to trot all this out. Well, and then she kisses him, and he has the line where he goes, "Enough, now it's enough," because it's it it is like in that moment he realizes maybe I have gone too far. Like she just kissed me. That wasn't supposed to happen. She's supposed to never like me. He's a very I think self hate he has like a lot of self-loathing oh sure he's not gonna even look at someone who he possibly could have he's in love with this woman who he's also doesn't speak to yeah you know what does he love about her she's beautiful okay but But you don't get to know her but i didn't i didn't absorb this information like oh i'm supposed to be charmed by this scenario 
I mean, at but the I, time, people were. But I guess people were because this is a fairly prolific scene. Yeah. But I was, I, I personally was charmed by most most other things except yeah, this. Scene. I agree. And it's like, oh no, this guy's a wad. Mm-hmm. Like, even if his feelings are real, this is when he, like, he's a traitor to his friend. He's yeah. a tr- he's a coward for never admitting his feelings until this point. No, this guy is like a, a fucking bum. And but this is the Woody Allen. This is no sure because a Woody Allen movie like an ensemble where the stories are rotating and there's like uh-huh. casual infidelity and things like might right. fall and people end up with other people and shit like that. That is probably plays up better in a Woody Allen movie than it does here. Yeah, but yeah. in this one, I just thought that oh, I'm supposed to think this guy's a fucking wad, and I did. Well, I think he's a wad as well. I think what people latched onto, especially when it first came out. Is that idea of loving someone who doesn't love you back, like someone that you cannot have, like that having like a hardcore crush that, you know, I mean, I I knew people in college who would get so obsessed with someone that they would like drive by their house and they weren't necessarily stalking, but almost the way this But then is you got to grow the fuck up. Well, that's the thing. These people are like 30. He owns an art gallery or or at least like manages it. Like he seems to have his shit together. And yet this is this is this. So, uh, pretty much, the, I think there's a few more, but we'll just talk about now the Hugh Grant. He's the single prime minister. Yeah. This one's a little kind of more like a generic rom-com kind of storyline. It is, but and he's charming. One, and one of his secretaries, he immediately develops a crush on her. She's a catering manager. And it is pretty funny how, like, you can see him getting that feeling and he doesn't want it. And he turns to a picture of Margaret Thatcher. You have this kind of problem? she did you saucy mings no love has never entered the heart of that frigid cunt she is upside down in hell right now uh billy bob thornton plays a combination of bill clinton Clinton. and george w bush yeah he's the american president jfk and he like he walks in on him like (laughs) literally trying to like neck on her or some shit and uh but yeah like he's a dirtbag and then he stands up to the president at a press at a press conference is like Y'all ain't that brave, but that's cute, though. I wish the prime minister would be like, yo, fuck y'all. You know, I, as an, as a citizen of the United States, I would support you for that. But let's be real. Let's be real. This is definitely a fictional story. It is definitely a fictional story, but it's a good speech. <laughs> uh, the country of David Beckham's right foot. And he only did David it. David Beckham's left foot. He did it because of a, a girl, basically. And Natalie, can we just talk about, she's beautiful mm-hmm. and she's also, they call her chubby. They talk about her huge thighs. Like, give me a break. She's just a nicely shaped woman. She's just shaped. She's like normal. Yeah. And I get, and I get, like, I'm not against like an occasional fat joke here and there, but this movie is like overly weighed down. And like, yeah, and a lot of it seems to be directed at this woman who's just a regular woman. And that's kind of. You know, and even a fat joke, if the person is actually fat, like, at least make sure they're actually fat if you're going to throw out a well, line there. Well, when, when she says that her ex-boyfriend called her fat, that makes sense because she broke up with him because yeah. he was an asshole. But but then, she's yeah, also everyone's the, calling her fat. She's also the poorest person in the movie. Shh, yes. Because she lives at the dodgy end of uh, of With her area. parents right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she also, also, Emma Thompson makes a lot of fat jokes about herself. 
Yeah. Like she says something about the only outfits she can wear anymore are ones that used to belong to Pavarotti. Well, maybe uh, an, an internalized self-loathing for that character makes a lot of sense. It actually. does. Well, because she's feeling like shit about herself because that's yeah. right after the party where she sees him dancing with Mia, who is the hot secretary, who wants to fuck him. Interesting. That, I think that's interesting, too, because the classic way to play that would be that he's lecherous and trying to get with her. But... They decided to flip it and have her basically. I, it seems as though she even she's new at the beginning of this movie. She, they don't know each other well. She's just started working for him, and it's like she decided to go work for him so that she could break up his marriage, so that she could be like a taken care of woman. So yeah, Hugh Grant. I mean, he kind of sends her off to kind of for professional reasons, but she sends him a card where she tells him he loves him, and then it's this scene where she goes and finds her, and she's got to go to. A, a school Christmas recital mm-hmm. that a lot of the characters are converging on. And that's when like the web of characters all kind of come together and they're all in the same building. Mm-hmm. And of course they fall in love. And that's pretty much love. Actually. Is it love actually or love actually? Love actually. Yeah. Cause because the line is love actually is all around. Let's uh later a rating on this movie. I'm going to give it one through five. You're going to give it one through five combined for best out of 10. Uh, this is one that you, that you, this gotten a lot of rotation for you over the years. It has. 20 years. This, 20 years old this movie is. There, there's still a lot of things I really like about this movie. And, but I, I can totally recognize its shortcomings as well. And I am going to give it a 3.5. I didn't think we'd match on this one. I thought maybe you'd go a little higher than me, but I actually agree that it is a, you know what? This might surprise you. I'm going to go up a 0.25. What? Actually, now I'm, (laughs) I'm really hemming and hawing because they're, the layers of things that work, work very well. Like they're the, Mm -hmm. the emotions displayed with certain characters, especially the ones that are struggling is actually really well done. Yeah. But there's just a couple of things that I thought were either just kind of bland, maybe mm-hmm. too generic. I actually thought more of the instrumental music would have felt a little too generic for me. I wasn't feeling it as much. And, of course, the Liam Neeson kid stuff. Like, I actually outright hated that movie. I hated that particularly. Mm-hmm. Like, I dealt with it, but, like, I just, it was kind of low. God, I'm torn because the emotional layers here are really something that set it apart. Now I'll keep it 3.5. Right in the sevens, in the same league as Black Christmas, Barbie, The Adventures of Robin Hood, directed by Michael Curtiz. Curtiz. I keep getting corrected on the pronunciation of uh, that director's name. Uh, the Naked Gun and Halloween 3. That's how good Love Actually is. Yes, this is our last episode of the year. Our theme, we will be going right into a theme, New Year's Day. Our new theme, it's called Portraits of the Artists. Mm-hmm. Now, what this is, is it's an examination of two black leading men. The original and the most prolific current one. Both different types of men, but both indicative of their own strength in Hollywood, past and present. Uh, for our classic selections, we're going to be looking at the movies of a man so beyond ahead of his time, Paul Robeson. And early movies that he was in, Paul Robeson broke out uh, singing Old Man River on the movie Showboat, 
which was directed by James Whale. That's kind of where he became more into the um, American movie zeitgeist. But he made a lot of films overseas as well because the stories he wanted to tell were more accepted over there at the time. And he was also a big labor organizer, a big unionizer guy in his day. Uh, Paul Robeson is just, he, when I, I don't mean to say it lightly, when he was truly a man ahead of his time and the essential first ever black leading man. And then on top of that, for a lot of more modern selections, we will be exploring, uh, Denzel Washington. Um, their only thing in common is their race, I suppose, but like, they, but Denzel Washington always felt like, felt more like a classic movie star, like in a Cary Grant, that kind of way. And mm-hmm. which is a good example because he reprised the role that Cary Grant played when he was like the bishop's, the bishop's wife in he's that in movie. He's in the preacher's wife. And he's yeah. in the preacher's wife. Yeah. But of course, narrowing down which Denzel movies you're going to watch in a month, that was the hardest. <laughs> That was the hardest I've ever spent trying to trim down what we're going to talk about. But we're going to examine both of these infamous actors, uh, big time black leading men from the past to the present and both like unique in their status at the same time. And, uh, it's going to be a good time. So hit us up. We'll see you New Year's Day. We'll be talking about some Paul Robeson. Check the show notes for links and other places to find us. Like, subscribe. We'd appreciate that. If you're listening on a podcast and you're like your Spotify or Apple, give us a nice little rating on there. Like just hit hit those little buttons and send it along the way. That'll help us out. And uh, leave a comment, corrections, fun facts, whatever you want. Just uh, we appreciate you listening. We hope you had a great Christmas and we hope you have a happy new year. So starting next year, we're going to have a whole new sign off theme, but I know you love death to all traitors, so would you like to say that one last time? Okay. Death to all traitors. John is in a basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, patch out, laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but if you ain't in again, you better duck down the alleyway. Looking for a new friend, a man in a clean skin cap in a big pen. Wants $11 bills, you only got this. Maggie calls sweet foot, face full of black soot, popping at the heat foot.